With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fifth official episode of Bantering the Blue Shirts, your weekly New York Rangers podcast hosted by myself, Joe Fortunato, and Michael Murphy, presented by Blue Shirt Banter, SB Nation's home of the New York Rangers. Uh, Mike, before we begin, I, I have to give a couple of hellos. We've, we've made it, as they say. Um, I have some people listening from work. My boss, Mike, if your son Max is listening, then obviously you did not do well in your homework, Max, and you're being punished. Jen, Jen, Chris, there's no way Pat is listening. Jess is looking for pumpkins. Um, I don't think Warren is listening either. So thank you all for listening. They're going to make fun of me tomorrow. And Mike right now is asking himself why he hired me in the first place. Um, but you know what? You know you've made it big time when people want to want to hear their names over the New York Rangers airwaves. So hello, everybody. Thank you for listening. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm, you know, I caught up on my sleep after that really exciting deadline day, you know. Yeah, so it was uh, probably more exciting than anything ever possibly thought. Uh, it was the least movement the NHL has seen since 1993 when nine trades were made. On Monday, yesterday, six trades were made. Um, it's the first time that they've been in single digits, I think, since that 1993 deadline. So really not a lot of things going on. I, I think the past couple of years, actually, you, you've seen these teams make moves a couple of days before the deadline, maybe because they think that there's going to be cheaper deals out there. The Rangers wanted to get the Eric Stahl deal done because they didn't want Stahl playing in that game on, I think it was Sunday. So those factor into things a little bit, but nothing happened. Andrew Ladd and Eric Stahl were the two big pieces. They were both gone before the deadline. Colorado made a couple of very late deals in the day, and that was sort of what ended up happening. Uh, the Rangers made a, a minor league deal after the stall deal, like 10 o'clock. They traded Ryan Bork to the Capitals for a, an older, similar Bork player, and that was it. I mean, that was that ended up being the deadline. I think the, the Avalanche probably made the, the biggest moves, but they're sort of a fringe playoff team, so it was very interesting. But were you surprised at, at how little movement there was? It's, I, I think I'm, like upon when it was happening, I was surprised because I remember I, I had a, a doctor's appointment. I was in like when I was in the waiting room, I was really annoyed. I was like, ah, I missed something. Something terrible is going to happen, I'm sure, and I won't be there to witness it. But, uh, you know, upon reflect like upon reflecting on it, I look back and, you know, the point you hear a lot with, this, you know, the salary cap era and how it's just, you know, for all the times we hear any contract can be moved regardless of no movement clauses or no trade clauses or no matter what the dollars are, or the cap it is, it's still really, really hard to get a deal done. And, you know, it's a point I heard 
uh, over the airways, uh, I think, yesterday, which was, you know, the reason we saw, like, the stall and lad trade happen before deadline day is, you know, GMs don't want to make moves with a gun to their head. They don't want to be scrambling and having to settle on something, you know. They'd rather just do it, which I think is part of the reason, you know, you see, like, the big Johansson uh, for Seth Jones trade and things like that happen earlier. You know, and, you know, I, I was surprised that, uh, about a few guys not being moved, like Drew Ann. Were there any guys you, you thought for sure were going to go that didn't go? I think he's the biggest name. I, I For those of you who are unaware, Drew Ann is sitting out. He's serving an indefinite suspension because, I mean, the timeline of this is ridiculous. Steve Yeiserman is, is definitely one of the, the tougher general managers to work with. You, you don't cross him. He's, he's a stubborn guy. Uh, Drew Ann wanted more playing time, got sent down to the AHL. Played a couple of games and then was like, ah, you know what? I'm going to make this. Is after he requested a trade publicly. He had his agent, Alan Walsh, who was just loved in the hockey community, I would say. Uh, I'm speaking somewhat facetiously, but uh, he made a, a statement about how Jonathan's been nothing but a good soldier and he just wants to get moved to another team. Drew in uh, cites that he told Yeiserman, I'm not going to play because I don't want to get injured because apparently a trade was imminent. Yeiserman says that never happened, that conversation. And Joanne has been sitting out since then. So I think Yeiserman had this idea of what he wanted from the trade deadline for Jonathan Joanne, who is a, a remarkable mm. talent. He's 20 years old. He's someone that a lot of people project to be a superstar in this league. And uh, Yeiserman thinks he's going to get what he wants. And he didn't probably because the kid hasn't been playing hockey for a month. And now I don't know what's going to happen. Yeiserman said arms were wide open for him to return, but I, I doubt he does. And, I just don't know. So, yes, he was the one I was uh, with at like 245. The trade deadline ended at three. I was texting a couple of people who were paying attention to the, the trade deadline and just saying there's no way Tampa Bay doesn't trade him. Right. Like the, his value only goes down at the draft if he did, doesn't play the final half of this season because of a, a spike with the the team and the general manager. But that ended up being exactly what happened. So uh, um, he's probably the biggest surprise. I think Boston not moving Louis Erickson, but also not re-signing him is a surprise. Uh, yeah. The Rangers told Yandel they were not going to trade him a couple of days before that went public. So that wasn't all that exciting. And I think everybody knew that with the cap space the Rangers had, there was nothing they were doing after Eric Stahl. So uh, he's probably, him and Erickson are probably the two. I cannot believe Dallas paid as much as they did for Russell. Uh, I'm shocked, actually. I don't think anyone it, can believe that, yeah. It, it really you look at a trade like that and you think about it and you go, damn, if, if the Rangers did trade Yandel, they could have gotten, I mean, I can only imagine that they would have walked away with half of Dallas for a player like Keith Yandel compared to who they ended up picking. So I'd say those are my big surprises. Um, again, the, the lines in the sand were drawn. I, I'm wondering, and, and this is something you and I can talk about a little bit after, because I, I do want to get you the stall stuff uh, up front, but mm-hmm. I am wondering if Chicago making all those moves, bringing in Ladd and, and Dale Weiss and uh, doing that a couple of, at least a week before the deadline, I believe, if that scared some teams off, especially in the West, who might think uh, maybe we're not as good as we need to be and maybe it's not worth spending the assets to get there. But I don't know. I mean, it, it was obviously the slowest deadline in NHL history and it was boring. I mean, it it was just, it was terrible, but the Rangers were not boring. They uh, they did what they were out there to do. I think everybody knew it was coming. I, I just don't think anybody knew what specifically it was going to be in terms of a return. The New York Rangers traded Alexi Sorella 
Um, and two second-round draft picks for Eric Stahl on Sunday. He played in yesterday's 2-1 win over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Looked pretty good. I, I mean, it's going to take him a couple of games to gel, but uh, I think this is a tale of, of two sides of this trade, Mike. And the first side is the player that they got, and the second side is what they gave up. So let's start with what they got. Are you happy with the Eric Stahl acquisition? If the Rangers are going to make a move, and it's quite clear they were, is that is he the type of guy you want to go after? Do you think they did the right thing, at least on that side of things? Well, I think that, you know, if if we all agree that this is a, a team in win-now mode, and I think that's the case that everyone, you know, it's never fun to give, give away prospects, but, you know, we can get into that later. But, you know, Eric Stahl is a, very special player you know he's his numbers have been this year have been you know pretty you know pretty mediocre he just has the 10 goals and you know it, if he doesn't I was looking at the numbers before if he doesn't get to 20 this year it'll be the first time uh in I think 10 years that he hasn't reached the 20 goal mark in a you know full 82 game season and in the 48 game season he had 18 in 48 games so you know he's never a guy that's been in the discussion as you know an elite sniper or you know he's not known as like a great playmaker but he's an all-around great center like he does a little bit of everything and you know a player with a lot of talent and skill that can do a little bit of everything and you know with a big body and a big frame to help on the face-off dot and all of that all that sounds like good stuff to me I mean is you know are you a fan of Stahl in his game even with his uh, numbers being down this year? Yeah, absolutely. I think of all the players the Rangers could have gone out and gotten, uh, at least of those players who were rumored to be available or who were available, Eric Stahl is the guy to go get. He's uh, a player who can slot down the middle. I talked about it a little bit on the website, but come the time, come the playoffs, center depth is probably the most important thing you can have on a team. Uh, and Stahl brings that. And I, I'll be honest with you, I was shocked he lined up at center yesterday. It sounds like Mignot wants to use him there primarily. Uh, put him on the third line and just have him line up in the middle. I'm sure he'll get bumped up with Nash and Broussard and Zuccarello at some point as well. But, uh, I mean, here's the thing, too, about Eric Stahl that a lot of people don't realize. His underlying numbers are spectacular. He's a a 57% possession player this year. His expected goals numbers are through the roof. And he's shooting over 4% lower than his career average. So I did a little quick math, and if he was shooting – at his career average, he would have just about 17 goals this year instead of 10. So not a big difference, but seven more goals is seven more goals. Uh, it would not at all surprise me to see Stahl go on one of those Marion Gabrick-esque of 2014 playoff run, even though we're really not supposed to talk about that. But just one of those ridiculous shooting binges where he's just he regresses. I mean, regression works both ways. Regression is just regressing back to the mean. Right now, Stahl is not scoring at the clip he has for his entire career. And at some point, he will begin scoring like he has in his career. And to get there, it means he's, I mean, I could see him shooting at 15 to 20%. Yeah, I could see him staying where he is right now. Some funks last all year. So, But from a, a Rangers standpoint, you have a player who helps the possession game. He slots up down the middle or on the wing. He's a little versatile in that way. He can score goals. He can set guys up. He's another weapon on the power play. He doesn't have to be the primary source of offense. And I think that's a big part of his numbers being where they are in Carolina is he's the guy. It's him and Skinner. I mean, there are other players too that are quality players on that team, but those are the two that you're focusing on. 
Now it's Nash, Zuccarello, Broussard, Kreider, Stefan, Stahl. Like, you have to make your choice. And that's part of the reason of getting him. So uh, the Rangers did not fix, I think, their biggest issue, their most glaring issue, which is their defense. But if you're not going to fix the defense, then you need to outscore the opponent. And they have a former 100-point player, a guy who's been damn near a point per game in his career, um, and a guy who kind of toiled in mediocrity in Carolina. So, yeah, I think the Rangers did a good job. Uh, George brought up a good point when he was talking about the Rangers and kind of lining up stall on the third line, which is, I think, not something that people expected. But when Nash is healthy, it's a matchup nightmare to have Eric Stahl on the third line. Because if the lines were Nash, Zuccarello, Broussard, Miller, Kreider, Stefan, and you got to worry about them, now you have to worry about Lindbergh, Hayes, and Stahl. I mean, it's a tough go. So were you surprised to see him line up at center? Were you surprised to hear Vigneault say he was going to use him at center? I think it was – I was surprised to see him there, but, you know, I think that it was probably a good thing for him because, you know, he still has to learn the system. He has to, you know, kind of find his niche in the locker room and, you know, get used to, you know, what Rangers hockey is like, you know, because you – know, let's not forget he's been in Carolina his entire career. Um, you know, when you could tell that he was trying to make an impression at the garden, you know, he was really throwing the body around and finishing his checks. And, you know, he had that one scoring chance where uh, he took that high, that high shot, like uh, 10 feet inside the blue line where his shot, you know, you got to look at what he can do. And, you know, it's, I understand the argument against having him at center at third, which is people would like to see Kevin Hayes there, but, um, you know, I, it's the fact that he is so versatile and, you know, not to mention the fact that we have now three natural centers on the, on the current third line, which is fun, um, <laughs> but which goes a long way towards the center depth you're talking about. But uh, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he lingers there, but sees a lot of ice and, you know, if it takes a lot of pressure, like uh, as at Ranger Smurf, um, the George that Joe was uh, referring to, um, you know, that, that matchup nightmare that we, you were talking about that George brought up is, is a really big deal, especially in the playoffs. And uh, I, I like the idea of him in the center just because of, you know, the face-off numbers are there. Uh, he's a big body, you know, 6'4", I think. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to like with him being in the middle of the ice and creating space and especially, I think, on the power play. You know, I think he's a guy I'd like to see down the middle on the power play. So... Um, I think there's more to like with him at center than there is at wing, but uh, I might my mind might change on that considering when we get a more of a look at what Kevin Hayes looks like on the wing. And that's sort of it's an interesting point that you bring up, which is the Kevin Hayes point. Uh, I've come to the yeah. conclusion at this point, and well, I'm going to get into this when we talk about what the Rangers gave up to get stall, but. If the Rangers mm-hmm. are all in, they're all in. So if you have to stunt Hayes' development to put stall down the middle uh, for the rest of the regular season and the playoffs, y- you do it at this point. If you're going to go all in the, Royal point, in the yeah. middle of the table, you can go back to Hayes and work on him a little bit and flop him in and out of center, depending on where you move stall. But if he needs to be the casualty of this, and that means playing him off wing and, or playing him on the wing, excuse me, and just kind of letting him toil around that way and figure it out. So be it. If that ends up, hurting the Rangers, if Stahl works better on the wing than Hayes does, then you got to make that switch. But 
for if the Rangers are this entrenched in win now, and they really are, this is the end of the line for this team. We've talked a, a lot about the Rangers not needing to rebuild. They need to retool. The defense can't be this way. If the Rangers want to be a team that's contending next year, Stahl or Girardi or, or both of them have to be gone. The Rangers need to bring back Yandel. They need to kind of refinance the core of this team. This is this group's yeah. last shot. And whether or not the Rangers keep Yandel, no matter what they do this summer, for ignore that for right now because it doesn't matter. The trade deadline's passed. There is absolutely nothing you can do to fix or change this team today or in the future or come the playoffs. So it's the end of the line for this group. And I don't think it's the end of the line for the cup window, which is everybody throws their hands in the air. Oh, God, you can't let you can't let the cup window close with Henrik Lundqvist. As long as he's elite, the cup window is there. Yeah, that's great. But this team needs to look different next year if there's an actual intent for them to be cup contenders. And yeah. that means that this year, this is your shot. This is it. And I don't know if they're going to have as good of a shot next year, depending on what they do. They got to be smart about it. So, yeah, you got to go for it. And if Kevin Hayes happens to be a casualty of that, so be it. And that's part of the story that I wrote today, which was, if you're going to go for it, Keith Yandel has to play top line minutes. He does. He needs to be your second in command on defense. He needs to play a majority of the power play minutes. He played uh, quite a bit more yesterday against Columbus, but in the two games where Ryan McDonough came back before the trade deadline, he played 16 minutes in both of them. He didn't play the most power play minutes of a defenseman. That's unacceptable. Tanner Glass can't be your fourth line winger. He can't be. I'm sorry. You need to play to your strengths. And one of the best parts about the stall trade, and it came at the expense of a very good prospect, is the Rangers did not give up a single roster player to get him. So when Nash comes back, you basically insert Nash for glass. You make the fourth line a fast, more Stahlberg line. And you probably have a fourth line that's better than the fourth line that dragged the Rangers to the Stanley Cup final in 2014. And then you have one of the best top nines in the NHL. That's how you mitigate the problems on defense. And that's how you run to the Stanley Cup. It's what it is. But Vigneault has to be willing to do it. And today on Francesa, he said he was talking about someone sent this to me because people like to rile me up. He was, they were talking about the team and the chances. And Vigneault said, my top defensemen are McDonough, Stahl, and Girardi. And I don't know if he's just saying that. I don't know if he's just, <laughs> you know, just talking about it. I don't know if he's doing the right thing because Stahl did not see a ton of ice time yesterday. But it's a lot. Like, that's a lot to take in. And it's just enough at this point. And if this is the last run, and like I said, I think this is the last run with this particular group. And they're all in, and they're going for it. And you went for it in 2014, you traded for St. Louis. You went for it last year, you traded for Yandel. You went for it this year, you're bringing in Eric Stahl. you got to go for it. And you got to give yourself the best chance to win. So how important do you think it was, Mike, that they were able to keep Lindbergh, who I think we speculated, a lot of people speculated, was going to get moved at the deadline, maybe because of, uh, maybe in the deal for Stahl. That obviously did not happen, but I'm assuming you're happy that the Rangers kept him around. Uh, yeah, the beauty, like like you said, the beauty of Lindbergh and every one of the roster players sticking around is that logically, and I know we haven't seen a lot of logic with uh, some of the roster decisions and lineup decisions, is that, you know, there's no way really where you, we can expect Glass to remain in the, the top 12 forward group. And, you know, the there's so much to like about Lindbergh and what he can be. And, you know, it's, it's of course, you know, I, you're going to touch on Sorella later, but... Um, 
watching Lindbergh play uh, the role he's played this season for the Rangers, there's been really a lot to like. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure anyone's expecting him to be really a, a scoring top six player, but I consider him to be, you know, projecting to be a very useful and, you know, versatile middle six forward, you know, on the second and third line. And for a guy who looks comfortable enough on the wing and can play center and is a guy you can trust uh, away from the puck in the neutral zone and the defensive zone, you know, he does, he's a smart player and he's young and, you know, we don't have a lot of that in the, you know, in the bank right now. And to not have to have given him up is, I think, is part of the, part of the big win. You know, when we look ahead and over the next two years in the first three rounds of the draft, we only have three picks. You know, that is something that causes alarm. But, you know, on draft day, we heard that the Rangers were absolutely i'm sorry on deadline day we heard the rangers were absolutely not going to give up a first round pick that was something that just gordon was just unwilling to do that was the line he would not cross and you know the two seconds you know i'm not sure is much better than uh you know for a team that's expected to be successful you know the value of a of a late you know the second half of the first round pick versus two seconds over two years you know you can debate which which uh which group you'd pick as the more valuable group, but um, keeping Lindbergh, I think will be a win. And the beauty of having a player like that is that he can move up in the lineup. If there's an injury, you can count on Lindbergh to yeah, plug in and make a difference. So uh, I'm, I wasn't thrilled that Hrivik got demoted, you know, and I know that part of that was making him eligible for the, you know, the uh, Calder cup. Hey, playoffs and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Lindbergh could become the Carl Hagelin that the team lost when they traded Carl Hagelin. Uh, he's good enough in his own zone. He's got enough offensive punch in his, in his arsenal. He's a guy who you can play on the power play. He has some good scoring instincts. I mean, you see things out of him that you traditionally don't see out of a defense-first player. Uh, the pass he made to Chris Kreider and the game-winning goal against the St. Louis Blues was spectacular. I mean, he's on his oh, knees, yeah. he has enough wherewithal to control the puck, and he flips it back to Kreider. You, you see some of the things he does. I think he hit the post, or maybe he set up Stefan who hit the post yesterday. He's got 25 points in 60 games. He's playing like 12 minutes a night on the third or fourth line. He's not really getting those prime opportunities anymore. This is a guy who, when he gets comfortable, and, and again, I think this, is, this all comes back to usage and the way that Vigneault's kind of put this team together. If Lindbergh is a guy who next year is allowed to flex his wings. I think you're going to be so happy with what he becomes. And I'm not saying he's going to be a 30-goal scorer. I'm not saying he's going to be a 70-point player. But I could totally see Lindbergh being in the 2020 range. I really can. I think he's the type of player that you can lean on for those vital defensive shifts. And he's a guy that, if you need to, you can push him up to the top six if you have to. And Carl Hagelin was that guy for the Rangers. I can see Lindbergh being that player. I can see fast being that player too, if we're being honest, but I really do think Lindbergh has better offensive instincts than, than fast does. I think fast is probably the better defensive player overall, but to have two of those guys on your team is not a bad thing, especially when they're cheap. And the Rangers at this point need as many cost controlled assets as they could possibly have. And Lindbergh is one of them. So to have him kept around is, yeah, I think it's a, it's a big win. I think the Rangers noticed how important he was. I mean, the, the, the big telling thing is going to be whether or not 
he plays when Nash comes back. I think the consensus is if Mignot contorts himself to keep Glass into the lineup, it's going to come at the expense of Lindbergh or it's going to come at the expense of Stahlberg. But I'm hoping that that does not happen and we don't have to go crazy on this radio show. And we can all be very happy with, with what the Rangers have. And I think Lindbergh is a big part of that. I mean, he's only 24. He's not the youngest prospect in the world. He has a wealth of playoff experience overseas in the SHL where he's dominated. He was the SHL playoff MVP as a 20-year-old. I mean, those are not things that you just throw around. Last year, he had over a point per game in Hartford in the playoffs. Obviously, he was playing a, a, a very significant role for them. But I think he could be a good player. And I think he's one of those guys that you end up leaning on in the playoffs because you need your depth. So keeping him is important. Keeping the roster is important. And this kind of flips the conversation now to what the Rangers had to give up to do it. Now, reports came in. Reports have been coming in since the last podcast because you and I ended up talking about it. But Elliot mm-hmm. Friedman kind of broke the ice that the Rangers were very interested in Stahl, and Stahl was interested in the Rangers. He had a waves, no trade clause, but he wanted to come to New York. I, I don't know how much of a role Mark Stahl played in it. Jeff Gordon said that Mark Stahl's position on the Rangers had nothing to do with their interest in Eric Stahl. Uh, guys want to come to New York. They want to win in New York. Stahl had to waive his no movement clause because he wanted to come to a winner. And winning in New York is like winning nowhere else, I assume, because I, I haven't seen it happen yet. But uh, when it does happen, I'm going to be able to say winning in New York is better than winning anywhere else. So he comes and Carolina wants a first round pick. Gordon wants nothing to do with it because as it is, the Rangers have to give Arizona their pick this year or next year. So you're talking about either four years in a row or four of the past five years, not having a first round draft pick. And he gives up two seconds and he gives up Alexi Sorella, who I am going to put as the Rangers fourth best non-goaltending prospect. We've had a lot of debates on the website about whether or not this was a great move, about uh, keeping the roster intact as it is. This is going to be the second straight year the Rangers have traded one of their top prospects. Did you hate what the Rangers gave up? Do you, I mean, I like the trade. I think the Rangers made a good move if they were going to make one. But I get that pit in my stomach with Sorello the way that I did about Duclair which is you better win the Stanley Cup this year because that kid's going to be something special. And, I mean, do you get that feeling? Am I over-evaluating the Rangers' prospects? I've heard the gambit as people yell at me and tell me that I'm an idiot, but that's not the first time that that's happened either. So, I mean, what do you think? I'm not exactly, you know, the uh, Mr. Prospects guy, but, you know, I, I did a lot of reading on Sorella both before and after the trade. And, you know, he's one of those guys where – when you read the scouting reports on him and you read the, you know, articles on him and you, you see a lot of those words that get you excited, you know, creative, fast as heck, you know, a little undersized, but since the Rangers drafted him, he grew an inch. I think he's five eleven now. And, you know, he's a guy who, you know, was in the, I think he's in the, the Finnish league with the Assad team and something like 19 goals and 47 games playing amongst men. And, you know, those are a lot of things that jump off the page and look good. And you then you start looking at videos of him and watching him skate, and you see how good his hands are, and you say, okay, this, this kid could be something. So, you know, there's a reason, I think, why, you know, you categorize him as, you know, fourth on the, the you know, in regards to the skaters' prospects, you know, excluding goaltenders. And, you know, given the situation with the Rangers' blue line, I'd be, I would have been, 
discussed it if uh, if Shea went, but I don't think that was ever in play. Um, is it spooky that we gave him up, uh, Sorella? I think so. I, I think especially after watching, you know, we've all had the displeasure of watching just how good, promising Duclair looks in Arizona, and you know, but that's it's the cost of doing business when you go for the cup. I mean. The, the scouting has been so good. I think both of these guys were third-round picks, both Duclair and uh, Sorella. And you know, the scouting has been so good to find these guys. And, you know, the third round is still a high enough round to find plenty of talent, obviously. But, you know, when you trade away your first and second-round picks as often as the Rangers do, you know, hitting a home run in, in the third round is a big deal. And then, you know, often ending up having to trade those assets, you start asking yourself, oh, you know, well, what's, what are we saving? What's in the piggy bank? You know, what's, what's going to be around the next generation. And I think that's a big concern. And I understand that the concern that people have, um, you know, were there other prospects who would have liked to maybe given up instead of Sorella? Sure. But that's not who the hurricanes wanted. And at the end of the day, they were holding all the chips. They had Eric Stahl. So, you know, what did you think uh, Sorella was too high of a price to pay or do you want to see more of Stahl and the Rangers before you uh, make that classification? I, I won't allow myself to see more of Stahl and the Rangers because the, the Rangers had to make a decision before they saw Stahl and the Rangers. And I don't think it's fair for me to use hindsight as a method of evaluation for the moves that the Rangers made. I mean, here's my yeah. problem. And, and you brought up a great point. When I originally heard that Sorella was included, like I, I had a pit in my stomach. And the most common response that I got from people who were very much so for the trade, the people who are like, oh, screw the future, we got to go now, we got to win, is you overvaluate prospects. Fans as a whole overvaluate their prospects. And that's not a wrong thing to say, that's not incorrect. But I think there's a different class of prospects. Everybody puts up good numbers in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Everybody puts up good numbers in the OHL. Everybody puts up good numbers in the WHL. When you have a guy who at 19 years old, and you were right on, he has 19 goals in 47 games. He's got 32 points in 47 games playing against men in the Finnish Hockey League. Yeah, it's a very important distinction to make. Right. He had a point per game in the World Junior Championships for the gold medal finish team this year. This is not your run-of-the-mill prospect. And Sorella specifically, if you go back to about four years ago, he was the next Timu Solani. You look at some of his junior numbers, and they're some of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. As a 16-year-old <laughs> for the, the Luco under-16 team, he put up 72 points in 28 games. Then he had 36 points in 16 games in the under-18 team. And you just look at this stuff and you're like, oh, my God. And last year he only had 12 points in 51 games in Liga. That was, that's the, the main Finnish league. He had an injury. He was young. Those numbers are always deceiving because they're never going to be that high. And he exploded onto the scene this year. And it was before the World Juniors. It was right around the Four Nations tournament. He's been dominant. I think – Sunday, when the Rangers traded for Stahl, the day before, Sorella had 15 shots on goal in one of his games and, like, two goals. So this is not your run-of-the-mill prospect. And the Rangers have hit three home runs in the third round. Duclair, Sorella, and Buchnevich, and they've traded two of them. Now, on one hand, that's great asset management. You turn two third-round picks into Keith Yandel and Eric Stahl. You can't complain about that. But what this has turned into for the Rangers is 
you're basically doing a trapeze act without a safety net. If yeah. you don't complete your routine perfectly, lead into that is if the Rangers do not win the Stanley Cup, you have so little to fall back on next year. And this team, as is, is not getting any better next year. They're only going to get worse because the problems on the team, if they're not moved or another year older, Stahl is gone. He's a pure rental. You have to assume that Stahlberg and Moore and Keith Yandel, who are the unrestricted free agents, all three of them might not be back. You have Kevin Hayes, Chris Kreider, and JT Miller that have to be re-signed. And you have Dylan McElrath. You need a place for Shea. Like, there's so much that's going to happen between the end of the playoffs for the New York Rangers and the draft. And I truly believe, and this may be the optimism in me, and I, I really am optimistic to my core. So this could be totally blow smoke up your butt type of stuff. I think Gordon's going to do the right thing. He's going to get rid of some of those bad contracts, and he's going to retool to keep this window open. But it just makes me nervous to, to lose a guy like that. And like I said, he's – Fourth on the list, Bushnevich is obviously at the top. Shea is right behind him. Uh, Robin Kovacs is the other guy who I would put at third. He is a two-time winner of the SHL Second League. So uh, the SHL kind of works like soccer does in that his team, AIK, was relegated uh, a while back. They play in the second division. As a 17-year-old, he led his team in scoring, which is incredibly rare. This year, he's doing the yeah. same thing. He has 34 points in 44 games. He's got 21 goals in that time span. He's won that MVP award twice, which is unheard of. And his numbers are on par and actually a little bit better than what Philip Forsberg did when he was 18, 19 years old in this league. He played in this league, not for uh, AIK, but he played in this league. So, again, dominating men is such a big difference from being the best among equals in the OHL or – uh, the WHL, or most notably the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, where everybody has yeah. incredible numbers. So, yeah, it, it, it pains me to see him leave, especially because the Rangers gave up two second-round picks. You, you'd think that there were other pl- – I have a really weird feeling that Carolina asked for Ryan Gropp and the Rangers said no because they're so high on him. I'm not very high on Ryan Gropp. That's just me. But I, I, I think that that's – May have been something that happened. That's pure speculation on my behalf. But these are the guys who want to keep around. Buchnevich, you hope, come next year to help mitigate some of these losses that the Rangers may or may not have. But that's another guy who's dominating the KHL, uh, dominating, you know, quote-unquote, playing very well in the KHL. Those are the guys you want mm. to keep. So hats off to Carolina because they asked for the right prospect. I'm sure they asked about Buchnevich. I'm sure they asked about Shea. And the Rangers didn't want to budge. And if the choice was between not making a deal at all Torella or Kovacs, and as we know, the Rangers made the deal, so I'm going to assume that they were never going to back off. Yeah, I would have given up Sorella too, but it doesn't make it any easier to swallow, and the Rangers have no first or second round draft pick again next year. So there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot going into this, which is to say the Rangers need to win the Stanley Cup. But having said that, the Rangers had to win the Stanley Cup in 1994 too, and they did. But if they did not win the Stanley Cup that year, it would have been a disaster. And I feel like we're on that level this year. We really are. 2014 was, oh, I think we might be able to do this. The Rangers ran to the Cup, and it was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Like, this is awesome. They lost. Okay. That summer was a disaster. But 2015 was very much so we need to get back, and we need to change the ending. And they almost did. 
And this year, I think expectations were just as high, and the Rangers never really got off the runway, at least for those of us who realized that their start was more a ridiculous Henrik Lundqvist performance than anything else. So yeah. I just think that there's there's just a lot of things to be worried about, but by the same token, you got to go for it. And I've kind of talked myself into that. The Rangers, I mean, stall makes them quite a bit better. So in the end, is it worth it? Yeah, if you're going to go for it, it's not the worst trade the Rangers could have made. They kept their best prospects, but it's obviously a little concerning. And now let me ask you this, since we're – well, actually, hang on. We have a caller. We'll uh, we'll see what this person thinks about this movie. He's been waiting. I apologize. Uh, 845, you are on Bantering the Blue Shirts. Who's this? Yeah, hi, Joe. Yes, sir. Uh, I think we, I think we lost them. Uh, yes, we did. Um, so yeah, that's. I, I mean, those are the types of things that I, I think the Rangers have to be worried about. But uh, again, Mike, you, you have to go for it. And I think if the Rangers got to the point where they were going to go for it, it, it's not the worst move to make. Especially when, let me ask you this: Chicago trades Mark Dano and their first round pick this year for Andrew Ladd, who I think is a worse player than Eric Stahl. And that would have been the equivalent of the Rangers. Um, oh, it was it was Vermette who called in. He he must have got disconnected. I'm telling him to call back. But I think the Rangers got the. Uh, it would have been the equivalent of trading a first round pick and Pavel Buchnevich, which they did not do. Are you surprised Chicago yeah. gave up that much for Andrew Ladd? Well, I was surprised that that was a deal that happened before the deadline. Uh, you know, there, there is less pressure on uh, Chicago to make something happen. And, you know, I think that, you know, maybe the Hosa injury and, you know, the, the fact that, you know, with I'm not sure there's a team with a crazier cap situation than the Blackhawks with. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the most interesting salary caps this know all the names on that team you know all the contracts on that team and you look at it and you try and figure out how it works and you see just how you know how much it's really there's the upper upper class the guys making an absurd amount of money especially uh Kane and Taves and then pretty much kind of everyone else so um I'm not surprised that they went after Ladd just because you know with his uh, being familiar to the team and being familiar to, to the core of the team, you know, with uh, with being there not so long ago, I think it was five years ago. Um, I would agree. I, you know, without hesitation, I agree that Stahl is the better player. Um, and in terms of intangibles, like, you know, Stahl has a cup to his name, Ladd has a cup, you know, I think two cups to his name at least. And, you know, they're both, both coming from a position where they're captains on their team. But, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's kind of a no-brainer that I would put Stahl before Ladd. And I yeah, think Ladd's absolutely. a perfectly good player. But, you know, Eric Stahl is this very significant get for the Rangers. The, yeah. Not not just in terms of the intangibles and, oh, the fun storylines with, you know, the Stahl brothers that we're never going to hear the end of. But, you know, what he can do when he's not scoring is make a difference every game because he's that right. good of a player. He doesn't need to put pucks in the net to make a difference and to win hockey games. And I think the Rangers need more players like that. And that's that's why I'm less upset about this trade than I was in the first five seconds when I saw it on Twitter where I saw Sorella's name, I saw the two seconds, and I just told myself, here we go again. I guess, yeah, I guess we're I, going for it. 
But I think the the language you used I thought was important because it's you know sometimes we say if you're going for it, but you know you you made the point I think to say you have to go for it, and that's that's the bottom line here. The Rangers have to go for it. They have to go for the cup because of the situation with you know the contracts on the blue line and everything else. You know, you know with with Henrik Lundqvist's age, the Yandel situation. You have to go for it. It makes yeah. sense to go for. it. And that's why I think this was the right move for the team. Stahl's the right player. He can he can fit on the wing. He can fit at center. He can make a difference on the power play. He has a history of being good there. You know, he, he can do a lot of things to help his team win. And, you know, another guy with playoff experience and cup experience and leadership qualities, it's all good stuff. It is. We have uh, – Vermette, you are on now. Can you hear us? Yeah, Joe, Mike, can you guys hear me? We can absolutely hear you, my friend. How are you doing? This is another one of the, it's going to be funny as everybody calls into the show. Hopefully people call into the show, but uh, for those of you who are listening, who are lurkers on the site or maybe not as involved in the comment section, Mike and I probably feel like we know all these people like we've been friends for years, even though we really have never met. But uh, Vermette's one of the good guys, one of the, the smarter guys who usually tells me how wrong I am on a lot of things. How are you doing, my friend? Are you good? I'm doing good. I just got into the podcast because I was doing something, but I just got in late, so I wanted to offer my thoughts before this goes into the past of the live show. So. Yeah, shoot, because you're going to get kicked, I think, in two minutes. So go ahead. All right, so I'll try to keep this quick. I think most of us are in agreement that Stahl, he was the top forward rental on the market that we could have gotten, but I think Great. most of us agree that we don't really need a forward. I mean, obviously they're good. Stahl's the guy who can drive the bus possession-wise, but obviously this team needs a defenseman, but it wasn't going to do that. So once you get past the fact that they were going to pursue Stahl and they were not going to pursue a defenseman, I find it hard to be annoyed at the trade because you kept Buchnevich, you kept Shea, you kept Graves, who I've warmed up to a lot, you kept your first-round picks, and, yeah, I think you can look at it from the same angle you did with the Yandel trade. Like, it was a first in Duclair and then the second for... Arizona retaining half, so maybe you can make it look better, say Sorrow in the second, and then the other second for them to retain half. So, I don't know. I'm actually surprisingly happy with the trade. As I'm sure most people know, I wasn't very a big Gordon fan for this, but he has earned some points in my book for being able to pull this off. Yeah, I think that's an important – you can't judge Jeff Gordon by what the current Rangers look like. I think his big report card is going to come out after the draft when he has time to make those decisions. You brought up a good point yeah. too, Mermet, which is that the Rangers, I don't think they could have ever fixed the defense really. And if the Rangers were going to make a move, this was the move to make. I'm not, I am so, so firmly in the, this is a good trade, but I can't help but say, I don't like giving up Sorella because I don't like giving up Sorella. But if you're going to make a move, this is the move to make, and you have to give to get. The My point was never, and this is, I think, one of the biggest things of the anti-stats crew is, oh, you're happy when the Rangers lose, or, oh, you don't want them to win. I never wanted the Rangers to blow <laughs> the ship up. My point was just, if you trade Stahl or Girardi today and you replace them with replacement-level players, you're actually improving the team. So yeah, if you can do something... Right. If you could do something like that and, and keep Yandel, and again, if the Rangers keep Keith Yandel, even if they don't win the Stanley Cup, the Duclair trade becomes much less of a disaster. 
because Yandel's still in his prime. He's 29 years old. You're not talking about a, a 38-year-old Sandus Ozelinch or um, uh, uh, Brian McCabe type player. You're, you're talking uh, about Brian a McCabe. We're making all kinds of references these past few shows, so that is uh, that's where we're at. This is that's what we've become. Uh, you know, you're not talking about one of those guys. Oh, Vermette, you're going to get kicked. So thank you, buddy, so much for calling in. Next time, call in earlier. This way, we could we could get you for a little bit longer. Um, I think she's actually going to boot you right now. So I apologize. Uh, for those of you who are still listening, we have like 20 seconds, I think. Um, thank you so much for listening. Mike and I are going to run a bit over again in the Tony method of podcasting so that you have to come download us. You can find us <laughs> on BlueShirtBanter.com and for Mike, BlueShirtBanter.com and BlueShirtBanter.com slash Riveters. He's at Twitter.com at DigDeep. I'm at BlueShirtBanter. Pretty much anything slash BlueShirtBanter is me. Um, you can find us on iTunes. Please give us nice ratings and say nice things about us. Uh, it helps. We have like we have a five-star rating, I think, from five people and one person wrote a review. So please write reviews and say nice things. And thank you all for the support Aww. because we the, the downloads have been incredible. Uh, the numbers have been much bigger than I thought. Yesterday, we had more downloads in a single day than we've had listened to the pilot episode of the podcast in its entirety. So it's it's been really nice to see you guys give us the support. Mike and I probably should have done it earlier, and he's going to be mad that I say that because he's been pushing for this for a while. But, um, yeah, this is this has ended up working out really well. So, all right, we just crossed the threshold where no one can hear us. But back to that point, the Rangers had – I'm glad they didn't make the move for Ladd because I don't mm. – not that he's not a good player. He's a good player. He's a complimentary player, though. Uh, Stahl is the type of guy who can take the game over. Um, and that's what you want. You need that dominant secondary scorer. And he's had some incredible years in the playoffs. But I'm not the type of guy who thinks the Rangers should have just sat pat. But if they did sit pat, I think it would have set them up for the future. And what I did not want was this, oh, we're going to trade Lindbergh, and we're going to trade Sorella, and we're going to trade all these prospects, and we're going to bring in – you know, another stall, and then we're going to bring in the Verstig, and then yada, 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 and then the next thing you know, even though they're great targets, it's like, holy crap, if we don't win the Stanley Cup, I have no idea what, what's going to happen or what the fallback plan is. And the Rangers avoided that. And, and I think Colorado panicked themselves into a couple of trades. Uh, the price that Chicago paid for Andrew Ladd, again, it's a pure rental. Stall's not staying here. Ladd is not staying in Chicago. You, you said yeah, their top situation is They're not out. going anywhere. Yeah. So yeah, the gone. Rangers paid the freight, and I mean, this is this is what they have. And I don't of all the players the Rangers could have brought in, of all the players that were actually available, I think this was the best move that the Rangers could have made. And I think that they they did the right thing, at least in regards to what they're looking for. Now I think the big question becomes: Are you actually going to go all in with Yandel? Are you actually going to go all in by sitting glass? Are the Rangers willing to get uncomfortable to, to do the job? Um, I mean, do you think that moving these assets for the third year in a row uh, is going to force Vigneault or at least Gordon to kind of say, hey, we, we really need to kind of straighten up and, and play our best players? Well, I think that's, I think that's really an interesting thing to, to dissect just because of, you know, you – you know, all we have to do is look at the, the most recent game against Tortorella's Blue Jackets, and you know you don't need to focus only on the turnover that Girardi made. Um, but 
you know, that will stand out in the minds of everyone. And, you know, the thing about that turnover and the fact that he didn't have the foot speed to catch up to get rid of the rebound that Ronta stopped on, on Atkins and breakaway. So not only did he more or less spring Atkinson for breakaway, he wasn't fast enough to get the rebound after his goalie bailed him out. Um, I don't know how many more times we have to see gaffes and mistakes like that before we see, you know, objectivity and logic start to take over, especially with the, you know, where the names on the blackboard and the, you know, or I should say the, uh, the dry erase board and the, uh, the Rangers locker room end up, you know, I don't know what it will take if not for this trade and for how good Yandel looked, you know, with, with McDonough out, you know, what more does Vigneault have to see to, to get it through his head that Andrade doesn't belong in the first pair. Tanner Glass doesn't belong anywhere. He doesn't belong probably in the NHL. You know, I know those are not wonderful things to say about, you know, the human beings behind those names. And sometimes we can forget that these are people and they have lives. But, you know, this is a business. And this business's objective is to win the Stanley Cup. And the Rangers have a lot of these tools, a lot of the pieces they need. It's just about getting the most out of them. And that falls squarely on the shoulders of the man who chews all the gum with the tight, with the tight haircut. That's you Vigneault, know, for those of you who don't know, but I'm yeah. assuming you do. Yeah, it's, it falls on the shoulders of Vigneault now. You know, your article today really drove that point home for me. You know, Gorton gave him the, 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 a great tool with Stahl, and he let, you know, he didn't take anyone away from his lineup, this, this lineup that's, you know, second in the second in the Metro or, you know, the Metropolitan Division. And, you know, that's a, that's a big point here. Vigneault has now been given what he needs or should need to figure it out. And if we see Dan Girardi still getting north of 20 minutes for, you know, the, rem- the rest of the season here, we should all be very, very worried and upset going into the playoffs because, you know, Dan Girardi is, not it's not like he's a cancer to the team, but he's toxic to that first pair, and he's a liability. And you know, you made the point. It sounds, you know, it sounds almost dramatic that you know any replacement really would would be a better fit than him. But you know, the one that always comes to mind for, to me is one of the guys who's currently in Hartford is Rafael Diaz. You know, I would rather have Diaz there, but it's not that easy with with Girardi's contract and. You know, he has an A on the front of his jersey. You know, this is a guy that it's not easy to just sweep him under the rug. You know, yeah. He's bolted down to the floor in some regards. So um, do you expect to see the right things happen now with your optimism, your eternal optimism, or not? <laughs> I don't know if I expect to see the right things happen right away. I, I think there was a big baby step taken with limiting Stahl's minutes and, and plugging Yandel into them. Stahl and Yandel end up fighting for ice time directly themselves, but it, my yeah. litmus test is Girardi because I think that so long as Girardi has continued to be used on the top pairing, it's a problem. I really hope that people realize this has nothing to do with Girardi the person. This really doesn't even yeah. have anything to do with Girardi the player. It's Girardi the contract that's the problem. Just like Wade Redden, if Girardi was your third pairing defenseman, and he's making two million on the two million dollars a year. Exactly. No one says a word. You love every minute of it. It's the cap hit 
and his role yeah. that's the problem. And for the Rangers, you need to smarten up in certain regards there because the fact of the matter is the, the Razor's edge of the playoffs is ridiculous. There are no second chances. And Girardi in February has improved himself to be, I think I wrote from an unmitigated disaster to, okay, so long as he doesn't do anything major, we can handle the mistakes. But you see that play that led to the Cam Atkinson goal that uh, you just, if you're that guy, you cannot make that mistake. And you're basically giving CPR to a dead Columbus Blue Jackets team who came back to life and very nearly beat the Rangers last night. And if that's a game seven in the playoffs, is that really the guy you want to hang your hat on? I mean, Girardi Cooper, who was the head coach of the Lightning, rode his triplets line against Girardi's pairing in the Eastern Conference final like it was going out of style. And Vigneault had no answer. And when it gets to that point, it's a problem. Now, this is where I think Eric Stahl is a great acquisition because as a possession player, you can kind of tinkle with the lines a little bit and make sure that when Saul's on the ice, you have good possession players on the ice, and you can kind of work it out so that the defensive players are on the ice with them to kind of – but once you're doing that much work, shouldn't it tell you, hey, you know what? I have a number one defenseman in Ryan McDonough, and I have a number one defenseman in Keith Yandel. They can't play together, but maybe those are my top two pairings. And maybe Girardi yeah. and Klein play on the, second, on the third pairing, or Girardi and Boyle if you, you really want to get fun and – uh, see what the hell happens. Uh, I think Girardi and Stahl has to be avoided <laughs> at all costs. But it, there's just it's a t- it's like where do you throw the grenade? Pretty much, where is it going to do the least amount of damage? And I think Vigneault has the answers to those questions. I, I just don't think if he I don't know if he's going to be willing to do it. But especially in a season where you have to win, I mean, you have to win. You you, you got to give yourself the best shot. And if you go out without winning. You gotta, you had to have given it your best shot because Stahl's not coming back. He's not, no matter what happens, Stahl's not coming back. This is his last opportunity to get a big contract. He's 31 years old. He's not walking through that door for a hometown discount. So no. your opportunities are limited, especially if Keith Yandel walks out the door too. And it is what it is. So I like the trade. I think it's a great trade for the New York Rangers. But I can say that with the caveat being, uh, if the Rangers don't win, they're going to be very upset because I think Sorrell is going to be a good player. And I don't understand why those two ideas can't coexist. Uh, I really think they can. Um, no, they, they can coexist. It's the same reason why going for Yandel last year was a good idea, even though it cost us to clear. Like, look at how good Yandel is and can be. And that doesn't take away from the fact that Duclair is crazy, crazy good and has all the potential in the world. But those those things are not mutually exclusive. They can exist in the same sentence. And what what the Rangers have done again is they went for it and they paid the price. And now we just have to kind of hope that you know all the pieces fall together. That you know Nash gets healthy and is you know he plugs into the top six and we get an idea of what this team looks like when it's healthy. And Eric Stahl has acclimated to the system. And you know it'll be really exciting to see what happens in the next few weeks with this team. And, you know, they're going to have a pretty interesting test starting Thursday and Friday with, uh, you know, Capitals Penguins to, to get to get going here. Yeah, that's the, the other thing that I'm going to mention at some point. It's going to be a story, I think. But I think this year's playoffs might be the most fun. Like 2014 was fun, but it was weird because you didn't you were waiting for the other shoe to drop. You didn't know when things were going to end. 
Last year was just stressful. This year is going to be stressful too, but it's going to be different because it's going to be, it's like you're, you could, this is a team now with Saul that the forwards are lethal enough that not that you couldn't get behind last year's team, but especially if glass is sitting and the Rangers are doing the right thing in terms of who they're actually playing. Like it's going to be fun again because you need to win this year. So it makes the garden more exciting, makes the playoffs more exciting. There's nothing better than playoff hockey. There's nothing better than playoff hockey at Madison Square Garden. There is nothing better than New York City when the New York Rangers are playing really well. I mean, 2014, some of the best sports memories I've ever had for a year that the Rangers lost in the Stanley Cup final. So I'd love to be in the garden for a Stanley Cup final where the Rangers weren't down 2-0 or 3-0 in a series. But let's get there. Let's do it. And this is the team to do it. So I think Mike and I were a bit more positive than maybe we expected to be. I had a weird feeling in the pit of my stomach that Bushnevich was going to go out the door. He did not. Uh, and here we are. So next week we'll have a little bit, a few more games under our belts, and we'll have a better idea of what it is we're looking at with, with Stahl and this new team and hopefully have some updates on Nash and all that fun stuff. So we have, we have given you more than enough extra content this week. Uh, I still like the 45 minutes for the show. I really do. I think it's a nice, it's a nice benchmark for us. If Mike and I start treading into that hour long water, we, we might take a look at that, but uh, I do enjoy making you all have to download it. So we'll see about that. Uh, reminders like the reminders I gave you last time. You can find us on blue shirt banter, blue shirt banter.com slash riveters. Mike also writes for today's slap shot. Uh, I don't know how you guys are listening to the show. Most everybody's coming in on their smartphones, but if you go to iTunes, you can subscribe to us there. Please give us nice comments, give us nice reviews and ratings. That definitely helps promote us up the level. Um, the downloads have been spectacular. Honestly, we're ecstatic with, with the numbers. And uh, I think it's just been an incredible showing of support from all of you. So I, I appreciate that. I hope the product is what you're all looking for. Mike and I were talking before the show. We're, we're going to get to the point where we're going to try to invite, invest in some microphones that Maybe don't make it sound like we're on the phone as much, which will hopefully help kind of increase the quality. But got a couple of guests lined up that I think are going to are gonna come on in the next couple of weeks. Maybe I might make them wait till the playoffs comes around or maybe even sort of the summer. But that'll help just from a recognition standpoint. And uh, we got some cool things lined up. So thank you for sticking around. Thank you, Mike. And uh, we will see you all next week. See you, buddies.